My name is uh, Peter, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just as Tamar said, want to welcome each one of you. You know, one of our prayers every kind of going into each Sunday is, Lord, bring whoever you want to be here today. And um, that you would just draw us in, whoever needs to hear. Any of you ever, maybe on a Saturday, you were planning on going to church, and then uh, towards the end of the day, you just decided you could use the day off the next day? Anybody ever feel that way? Come on, be honest, okay? I know you've never given in to that temptation. Um, Any of you ever not plan on going, or for whatever reason, but you woke up Sunday morning and you just felt God saying, today's the day I want you to go. Anybody ever feel that? Um, I believe that he does draw us in. And many times, even as we sing, we're just singing about God being good, is many times what we feel and what we're feeling and what needs to happen aren't in alignment. Because our feelings are based off of our own perception, our own thinking, what we see, what we're hearing, all of those things. And what God is trying to direct us into is something completely different. Because he's trying to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And where he wants us to be is not dependent on where we are. And it's not dependent on what we feel in that moment. So uh, more or less saying all that just to say I'm happy you're here. Uh, A couple things is, one, we are going to be opening our Bibles today, and we believe it's important for us all to be able to read along. So we're actually going to be reading from the NIV today, and if you do not have a Bible, no worries, or maybe you brought one, but it's not the NIV, and um, you would like one, will you just raise your hand so the ushers can get that to you? They have some of those. And if you don't even own a Bible, and you're raising your hand, and they give you one, I want you to know you can steal this one, okay? So just kind of tuck it behind you, and just kind of slide out of the service maybe a little early if you need to. Totally fine. Steal it. Um, But take it. We would rather you have the Bible and be able to open it and read it on your own. So if you need one, keep your hands up. Also, something else we have, we continue to partner with Vancouver, sorry, getting ahead of my words, Vancouver Public Schools. And one of the things, Jason Lee, which is the middle school right behind this wall, uh, they are doing a clothing drive, and here's what they're looking for. They're looking for us to bring clothes. Now, these can be new clothes, or these can be used clothes. All I ask is you don't give them junk, okay? What classifies as junk? Just hold it up and look at it. Okay, and just decide. If the reason you're getting rid of it is because it's falling apart, let's just classify that as junk, okay? But maybe it's to go through your clothes. Now, they need kids' clothes and adult clothes, so there's no guidelines on sizes. We all come in different shapes, and you know what? So do the people at the school, so we want to bless them. What they're doing is filling up kind of a, a closet for people to be able to get clothes, and so what you can do is ask that you would also wash them, okay? And then quickly put them in the dryer so they don't smell like mildew. Um, just, just, these are some practical things. Uh, and then you can just bring them here and then we'll bring those over to uh, the school. So you can do that this week. If you're a parent, hey, here in a week is spring break and so what a great time. Your kids are gonna love it. 
if what you do is you say, hey guys, for spring break, we're purging. So you're gonna clean your room. You're gonna go in and we're gonna do a deep, deep clean. That's why um, the kids aren't in here right now, so we can just make this agreement that it's okay to do that, is just ruin their spring break and just clean the house. It's for, it's for the school. We're just trying to bless them. So anyway, so any clothes, whether kids or adults, just make sure they're not junk. Make sure you wash them. Make sure you dry them properly. Fold them nicely so they're not all wrinkled, and then bring them, uh, bring them here. If any of those things are too difficult for you, uh, put them in a bag and just let us know that you weren't able to do those steps, and we'll take care of the rest of them and uh, get that to them. Awesome? Awesome. <clears throat> it's kind of the modern way of saying amen. Um, okay, we have been on a series, uh, His Kingdom Come, His Will Be Done. It's on a sticker on the wall over there, and uh, we're serious about it. We want His kingdom to come, and we want His will to be done. How serious are, it, are we about it? We're going to keep talking about it. Um, the idea is you, we could feel like it's getting old, like, well, didn't we already cover that? Shouldn't we be on a new subject? Well, honestly... I don't think any of us are living it, and not just because we're all bad, but it's something that God is always trying to do in us. So I think we can always talk a little bit more about his kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives. Because you and I are, we're on a journey, but we need to continue get to the place of surrender where we're letting go of what we, of building our own kingdom or our own will being done and getting to a place of what does that look like to surrender to God. And uh, the exciting thing is, using the onion, onion analogy, is that as we peel back one layer, and you kind of go and you celebrate, anybody ever do that? Like you feel like you surrendered something to God, and you're just like, man, this is amazing. And you're just kind of, you're feeling, it was difficult to let go of that thing, whatever it was, but you're feeling kind of exhilarated and good, like God's breathing into you, and you're just kind of like, I did it. Like, I gave that up for the kingdom, and I surrendered that. And about a week later, he has the nerve to point out something else he wants you to surrender. Anybody ever been there with me? And you're like, seriously? Like, can't we just rest in this last one for a little while? Um, can't we just call it good? But no, he wants to continue to point at those things and continue, because here's the thing. He's trying to call us into something that is so much bigger than who you and I are. And bigger than our own abilities, bigger than our own mindsets. And to get us there, we have to let go. Because the things that keep us back the most are our own beliefs and our own desires. And uh, our own protection of trying to keep ourselves from uncomfortable situations. How many times when we talk to each other, how many times what we're talking about is we're going through something tough and we want the toughness to hurry up and end? Anybody there with me? That, that's what we're looking at is I just, what needs to happen for this, what I'm feeling to stop because I don't want to feel it anymore. But what is it that God is trying to draw us closer to in a place where it's, it's not actually, the goal isn't our feelings. The goal is his kingdom. Now, I think we can rest in, though, the fact that as we go after his kingdom and as we go after his will, that he's going to come 
and he's going to begin to shift our heart, and he's going to shift our feelings, and he's going he's to change us from the inside out in that way. So his kingdom come, his will be done. We looked at what is his kingdom, and how's it going to come, what is his will. Um, this week, we're going to send out the podcast to all four of those messages, and if you did not hear them, or you did hear them, I want to encourage you to hear them again. And really look at it not from the mindset of what does the person sitting next to you need to get out of it, nor, Lord, we need your kingdom to come to our world and to our government in this, but let's start with you and I. And what needs to happen inside of me? God, your kingdom coming in me, your will being done inside of me. All right. The other thing we want to look at kind of as we go into Easter is radical surrender. And that's a word we're using a lot. But really, for us to experience his kingdom in his will, it takes that surrender. But it's a radical surrender. It's a crazy surrender. It's a complete surrender. It's not partial. It's not a little bit. It's not just like a a hint of it or a splash of it. No, it's all in. In letting go and letting God come in us. So, you know, as we look at Jesus... And what he did, he obeyed radically. He obeyed his father. Even to the place where he was in the garden saying, Lord, you know, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way you could help me out and take this cup from me. What was the cup? The cup was he came to earth to be a living example, to come into flesh and be an example to you and I, but also then to pay the penalty for our wrong. Well, what was that penalty? What did he have to do is he had to He was crucified on our behalf. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you and I. He knew what it was going to, just because he was Jesus didn't mean he didn't feel. He didn't take a little potion, you know, to, to numb his feelings. He knew what was going on, but he obeyed radically. He surrendered radically. He served radically. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve. He came to serve. He served radically. He gave radically. He gave of everything he had. He didn't hold anything back and say, no, this this is for my comfort. Or, no, I deserve this because I earned it. He looked at what could he give that he had. And he gave freely and radically. And he loved, and he still does, you and I radically. So for a second, maybe ask yourself, why are you here today? Why, why did you come today? Did you come to, maybe you came because you just, you've been sick for a couple days and you just need to get out of the house. It's not a bad reason. I think we've all been there at some point in our life. Maybe you've been feeling a little lonely and you just needed to see some friends. Again, not a bad reason. Maybe you just needed someone to pray with you. Maybe someone made you come. I would love to ask and have you raise your hand. Was anybody in here because your spouse, your child, your parent, your friend, somebody made you come? Maybe you're here because you're just tired. You're exhausted. And you don't know how to break free from it. You don't know how to get over it. But you're like, man, there must be more. And I don't know how to get there, but I want to get there. 
And so you're here kind of as a, a last effort. Kind of, Lord, if you're real, I need you to show up and reveal yourself. I don't know why you're here today, but I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that God wants you here today. Whether you happen to be born into the church, you went to Sunday school as a kid, and you decided to get baptized at, you know, four years of age, had a radical conversion of drugs and alcohol at four years of age, and just kind of been falling in passionately ever since, or whether you're walking in for the very first time, and you've never been in a church, you've never really talked about God or opened yourself up to it, I want you to know, I believe you're here not by accident. And I believe that God wants to reveal that he is a good, good father and that he loves you. He knows you. He knows what you've been going through. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions. He knows your fears. He knows your frustrations. He knows your hurts. He knows the betrayals. He knows you. And he loves you. But the amazing thing about him is he doesn't leave us where we are. He calls us into something because he wants us to move beyond what we see in ourselves. I want to read, before we um, open those Bibles, not like I'm opening a different Bible in a sense, but I am opening a different, I'm going to be cautious and not say translation, I'm going to say a different paraphrase. It's called the message. If you need a gas, go ahead. <laughs> um, this is a little bit more in modern lingo. But I want to read it because I want to read it as a letter. This is out of the book of Philippians. And I believe they're... I just believe we're supposed to read this. And so as I read it, I want you to just try to listen to it. This is a letter from Paul. And so he's writing this to the church. And the Philippian church, and he's, and he's, he's encouraging them. Usually he would write a letter because he either heard of something going on in that city or in that church, and uh, he had heard about it, and he wants to encourage them to move beyond it. Maybe there's a lot of bickering, and so he's talking about unity, or maybe there's confusion over something, so he's trying to bring clarity. But is, let's think of it, though, as we read it, as he's writing this letter to you and I. Right here. He's writing it to City Harvest, and he's saying these things to us. Who is he? Let's say that he was your coach when you were growing up. Maybe he was your youth pastor. Maybe, um, maybe he's your, your grandma that always encouraged you. Whoever you want him to be today. But what he is, is he's a man that you knew earlier on didn't follow Christ. Not only that, but he mocked those that did. Not only that, he held the coats of a follower of Jesus named Stephen. He held the coats of different men that stoned him to death. That's how much he was against Jesus in the gospel, in the good news. Is he would stand there and hold and cheer it on as a man, a follower of Christ, was being stoned to death. But what you've also seen is his transformation. And you've seen him gone, go from that 
to being an absolute radical follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who gave up his way of thinking, someone who gave up his pride, someone who gave up his, his uh, that everything had to make logical sense in his mind and every dot had to connect and surrendered himself to Jesus. And from that place has now gone across our nation and around the world to encourage other believers. And today, he just sent us a letter. And he's writing to us. And to think of it in, how does this relate to you? It says, Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants to Christ Jesus, write this letter to all the followers of Jesus in City Harvest. Pastors and ministers included. We greet you with grace and peace that comes from God our Father and Master Jesus Christ. And how exciting to get a letter from him. He's been gone. We haven't seen him in a long time. We haven't heard from him. And here he is. He's writing us. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. What an amazing idea that as he thinks about us, he gets excited and then what does he do? He pauses and he prays for you and I. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. It's not at all fanciful for me to think this way about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and came out of it in one piece. All along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. Isn't that neat to know that he still thinks about you and he still loves you? So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and ex exemplary. A life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all. To think of that that the love that we have could cause others to be attracted to Jesus, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. Isn't that kind of encouraging that in the midst of him being put in jail... And to think that that could be the end of the gospel and that's 
people coming against him and keeping him from sharing and, and um, silencing him, that he's seeing a different perspective. Circumstances haven't changed, but his perspective shifts. And instead of seeing it as he's just hidden there and he's missing out, he sees it as the gospel is still going forward. He's still writing these letters to you and I. All the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity and now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever, speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. It's true that some here preach Christ because um, with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. So how am I to respond? How would you respond if that was you? Maybe you've been in that situation before. Kind of interesting. How would we choose to respond I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens their mouth, Christ is proclaimed, so I just cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know it is going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. That is a radical surrender. To see that our life isn't, again, just about our comfort or our feelings or what we here on earth see as success. But the idea that regardless of what happens, if what we're doing is trying to live for God, love others the way God has asked us to, it's for the kingdom of God. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a platform. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his prize. Life versus even more life. I can't lose. As long as I'm alive in this body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which I choose. Hard choice. Desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are going through, I am sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around for a while. Champion to you as your growth, sorry, companion to you, as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. You can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come visit you again. We'll be praising Christ, enjoying each other. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. So what's he asking us to do? Live in such a way that our life reflects Jesus. 
in his gospel. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against, defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as to trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. If you've gotten anything out of all, out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Wow, what a powerful challenge to us. If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. That's serving radically. It's loving radically. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient life and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all in the glorious honor of God the Father. I'm going to pause here real quick in this letter. I remember sometimes growing up, my mom would read me books and my mind would daydream. And I would start thinking of other things. And so you might already be at that place. You're like, huh, I wonder what's happening later today. The weather is nice. We are having a spring like we had last year where it snowed in April. So I wonder, but the sun's coming out. Maybe it'd be good to go, you know. It's normal. On the other hand, though, I want to encourage us to not just see this as something we're just doing so we go through church. But, you know, God gave us the Bible for a reason. And it wasn't just to study one verse. It wasn't just to get into looking at a word, even though those things are good. He wants us to read it like he's speaking it to you and I. 
It's written to you and I. He's trying to encourage us. And for us to see it, not just as a letter written to people before, because here's the deal. When we look at the things that Paul was writing to the churches, we've gone through all those things. We've had the, the disagreements. We've had the kind of the, where we got a little bit off course. And he comes to reunify us in the purpose. He comes to reunify us in what he's doing. He continues on, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in the squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of living God, and the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so all have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. Even if I am executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing. But turnabouts, fair play, you must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. I plan, according to Jesus' plan, to send Timothy to you very soon so he can bring back all the news of you he can gather. Oh, how that will, be, it will do good for my heart. I have no one quite like Timothy. He is loyal and genuinely concerned for you. Most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. But you know yourselves that Timothy's the real thing. He's been a devoted son to me as together we've delivered the message. As soon as I see how things are going to fall out for me here, I plan to send him off. And then I'm hoping and praying to be right on his heels. But for right now, I'm dispatching Epiphrod. How do I say it? A guy with a longer name that starts with an E. <laughs> we'll just call him E, like Elijah Solshide. I'm dispatching E, my good friend and companion in my work. You sent him to help me out. Now I'm sending him to help you out. He has been wanting in the worst way to get back with you, especially since recovering from the illness you heard about. He's been wanting to get back and reassure you that he's just fine. He nearly died, as you know, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, he had mercy on me too. His death had, would have been one huge grief piled on top of all the others. So you can see why I'm so delighted to send him to you. When you see him again, strong and strapping, he must have just been a beautiful little fella, how you'll rejoice and how relieved I'll be. 
Give him a grand welcome, a joyful embrace. People like him deserve the best you can give. Remember the ministry to me that you started but weren't able to, to complete. Well, in the process of finishing up that work, he put his life on the line and nearly died doing it. If any of you wonder how far we are and how much longer is this letter going to go, you're two-thirds of the way, okay? So stick with me. We're reading the word of the Lord. If we can't do that in church, I don't know when we should. And that's about it, friends. That's kind of like a preacher saying I'm almost wrapping up. <laughs> Because like I told you already, he's only two-thirds of the way done. <clears throat> Actually, he's only about half the way done, but I'm not going to do the last quarter, so I'm calling this two-thirds. Okay, here we go. And that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. Man, what an amazing statement right there. Just be glad in God. Think how much your life and my life would change and look different if we would just be glad in God. How much of our time we waste and spend worrying and getting frustrated and, and moping and getting, you know, irritated with different things that we really can't change. Anybody here ever spend, you just like let a whole day go by? We'll just leave it at one day. We won't go beyond that. But you let a whole day go by frustrated and down and irritated about something that you actually can't change. And what you did and you lost that day. Because you allowed your feeling to take control of it instead of realizing I can't change these circumstances. What I can change is my outlook as I go through them. And so even though these, these circumstances are terrible, I'm going to choose to continue to be glad in God. And I'm going to choose to continue to look to him. All right, I don't mind repeating what I have written in earlier letters. And I hope you don't mind hearing it again, do we? No, not at all. Better safe than sorry, so here it goes. <laughs> Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. How many of you know who he's talking about? <laughs> How many of you think he might actually be talking about you? Ooh-ooh. Uh-uh, I don't know. All they're interested in is appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers. A little crazy there. <laughs> you know, nowadays we use, you know, trigger-happy or something like that. But a knife-happy circumciser just is a, a weird thing. It says that's what I call them. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at, his, at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many might think as impressive credentials. You know my pedigree, a, legit, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of, the, of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, 
along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Why? Why if he's lived such an amazing life and he's done so well? He's been, man, he always, I, I went to a private school early on in my school life and um, there, we used to get chips. Uh, they were Christian poker chips. Uh, there was red ones, there was blue ones, and another color. White? Is that what it was? And um, were the blue ones the good ones? I don't remember what color. But as you went through the day, the teacher, you had like a little pouch with your name on it, and they would put chips in your pouch that would determine how you had been listening, participating. And then once you got enough, we'll call it the blue chips, which were good ones, you could go to the treasure chest and you could buy something that was absolutely worthless and would break in a matter of minutes. But it was this thing of, and if you were like me, you didn't get a lot of the blue chips. Uh, you, your, your, your pouch was full of the red chips. And so I didn't get to go to the treasure chest much, but other than maybe like on my birthday when it was like a free day. <clears throat> but, um, okay, and why? Because of Christ. So he's giving up all these things. Why? Why would it be worth it to give up all these things? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all the inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted it too. What a neat little statement. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on the goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us is any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment. God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that you're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running this same course, headed for this same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times, sadly. I'm having to do it again. All they want is Easy Street. Anybody here from Easy Street? <laughs> I grew up on Easy Street, and it's a wonderful place to be, but it's not what, where we're called to live. We're called to push ourselves. We're called to go beyond just what's easy and comfortable and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. 
They hate Christ's cross, but Easy Street is a dead-end street. Tamar and I used to live on a double cul-de-sac. You want to talk about a dead end? Is a cul-de-sac bro cul broken off of a cul-de-sac. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there is far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy, fill me with such pride. Don't waver, stay on track, steady in God. I think it's important for us to read the word. I think it's important for us to read the word and make it alive to us. I think it's important for us to read the word when we gather and not think, well, we gather to sing some songs and we gather for someone to give us an entertaining message and you know, hopefully they crack enough jokes where they keep me engaged and uh, bring enough of a challenge where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. I'll, I'll think of that, but not too much of a challenge where I'm like, whoa, buddy, you know, back off. I don't really, really want to change that way. No, where we allow the word to come and transform us. We're serious. We want his kingdom to come. We want his will to be done. If that is not our goal, the only other option is we're living for ourselves. And if it is our goal that his kingdom come and his will be done, it takes us living like Christ. It takes us obeying radically. It takes us surrendering radically. It takes us serving radically. It takes us giving radically. And it takes us loving radically. Will you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3? I want to read a letter from Paul. Just joking. No, we just did that. <laughs> and praise team, you guys can uh, come on up. But if you look in your Bible, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. We already read this in that letter, but I just want to highlight some parts. It says, not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. You and I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. It doesn't matter what degrees you have. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter your accomplishments. We haven't arrived. We're all on a journey. We're all moving forward. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Why did Jesus take hold of you? What is his purpose? What does he want to do in you? And what does he want to do through you? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Jesus has called me 
heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's called us to build his kingdom. He's called us to surrender our lives and live for him and him alone. And we don't have to be scared because in it, he'll strengthen us. He is a good father. Here he says, though, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I don't know what is behind in your life, but many of us, what keeps us from accepting what God is calling us to do is we look at our present through our past. We allow our past to dictate where we are right now. It could be a mistake you made. It could be something that happened to you and the shame you carry because of it. And maybe it wasn't even your fault, it's something someone else did to you. It could be maybe a pain you went through and you ask yourself, well, where was God in that pain? Where was God in that loss? So we, we view our future and even our present from our past. What does Paul say here? He says, forgetting the past. He lets go of the past. So what I want to say to you is, I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how impressive you think you are or how worthless you think you are. I want you to know that he sees you right just as you are and he is calling you. He's saying, I want you to build my kingdom. Yes, you. I'm not looking for this person with a, a wall full of degrees or, or all these accolades. I'm looking for you. But I want you to forget the past. Did it help shape you? Yes. Did it mold you? Yes. Has it affected you? Yes. Am I saying don't grieve about it if there's pain and just shut the door on it? Not at all. What I'm saying is though, we don't let it dictate who we can become. And so we look forward to the future. So we have a choice. We can look at our present through the view of our past, or we can look at our present through the future. What is the future? It's faith, and it's what God has called you to. It's who God says you are. It's what he says he can do in you. Moses, when first called, if you know the story, God called him. He said, no, I can't do it. Why? Because he saw himself through his past. He saw his failures, he saw his inadequacies, he saw his weaknesses. But God had to like change his mind and say, no, I'm calling you not because of this, but I'm calling you because of what I can do in you. And Moses had to grab a hold in faith of who God was calling him to be and what God wanted to do in and through him. And from that place of faith, he then began to walk towards his future, pressing forward to the goal, not because he had arrived, but because God was calling him. He had to make a decision that he wasn't going to view himself from his past. Paul couldn't view himself from his past. People, he stood there holding the coats of men as they stoned a Christian to death. 
As this man was, Stephen was getting stoned to death, he looked out at them in the same way Jesus did when he was on the cross. And he said, God, forgive them. Lord, reveal your love to them. Because it's not about what I'm going through right now. It's about God, your love filling this place. Paul couldn't view himself from his past. He realized when Jesus met with him, what he was calling him to, and he began to view himself through it. We're going to go into some songs. And um, what I want to invite you to do, will you stand? Is uh, I want to invite you, one, I want to ask that you don't prepare to leave. Two, whether you like the letter I wrote, whether you thought that the, me reading it from the message helped you understand it, or maybe you thought, you know, some of the wordings was a little inappropriate and therefore you're, you're just still struggling with that. Whether you like this idea that God is calling you to something deeper and to something more. What I ask is right now as we sing, what you say is, Lord, what are you calling me to? What do you have in my future? What do you want me to see about myself? God, how can your kingdom come and how can your will be done in my life? Lord, how can I surrender radically? What do you want me to let go of so that I can serve you?